and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly discussion of culture, news, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most fascinating city between Kearney, Nebraska, and Ogden, Utah. This week, death by falling at Red Rocks, meditation for cops, and where meat eaters should go for vegetarian food in Denver. I'm John Dicker, your host. Um, with me is Amber Toffin, and we're going to just kick it off um, about – you live in, in, in Morrison, and there was a, we're talking about the recent death at Red Rocks of a hiker – and this is not uh, sort of an isolated, isolated incident in terms of death at Red Rocks. What's going on? Well, I think what makes this one particularly unusual is the woman was climbing rocks at Red Rocks, not during a concert. Um, we have a lot of rock climbers who come up there. Usually they use the hogback, which is a little bit safer. The fall's not quite as quite as long. And there are people who bring bouldering pads, so if you forget yours, you can borrow someone else's. My understanding is she was just on a hike and um, decided to climb the rocks on a whim and it didn't work out so well for her. Yeah. And this was surprising to me because I, when I first heard that story, I assumed it was one of those cases where people had been climbing during concerts right up on the side of those like iconic Mm -hmm. rocks up there. And I remember that happened a few years ago where some dude was climbing up there during some concert and then tumbled off. It's really is amazing how the allure of climbing those big-ass rocks, especially during concerts. And honestly, I really don't know that they can do anything else to um, to sort of make that less alluring. There's already a pretty hefty fine if you get caught. You know, people die. I would imagine that a lot of people who are doing it are not aware of of the reputation that those rocks have. You know, another thing that happens pretty frequently is people spray painting the rocks when people come in for concerts. So I mm-hmm. believe that's why Fish was not allowed to play there for about 10 years before their last concert. Hippie mm-hmm. taggers? I know. Or tagging red rocks? Tagging nature. It's it's amazing. Could be called dead rocks. <laughs> well, I heard that they actually I haven't heard this, but I actually know from friends who have tried to sneak in mm-hmm. during because, you know, it's kind of like an open amphitheater thing. And everyone says, well, I can sneak in because I can crawl through the wilderness and stuff. But they actually have people on staff during concerts that hide out in bushes. And we'll <laughs> go in like, I don't know if they have night vision goggles, but we'll go in periscope people out and and tackle them if they're trying to sneak in well there's a path um at the back of the lower south lot that if you take it all the way up you can see down from the back behind the amphitheater down onto the stage and um my younger brother actually had an incident with a friend there last year where she fell down and he was able to get her out without any medical attention being called to the to the situation, but that happens pretty frequently. How frequently are we talking here? Like, I mean... Well, you know. it's hard to say. I mean, incidents like that, when there's no police or um, or medical personnel involved, who knows? That could happen four or five times a summer, and nobody would know about that. I would say people try to sneak into almost every concert that's there, so the potential is two or three times a week. And this concert with this recent incident was uh, uh, Ray... Ray LaMontagne. To, and, and he's like mellow music for... Mellow for, soul? Yeah. For middle-aged farts. <laughs> Are any middle-aged farts sneaking into Red Rocks? <laughs> kind of, I don't know. That's a good question. I've never seen any, but that doesn't mean they're not trying to sneak in. Well, speaking of middle-aged farts, Amber, you live in Morrison. <laughs> not, not you're a middle-aged fart, but every single time there's a Red Rock concert... That whole town is just taken over and some pretty crazy stuff goes on. Yeah, it's really – it's great people watching. And what I found the most interesting living there has been 
watching the different types of people who show up for different concerts. I still think to this day that the most obnoxious concert goers I've ever seen were for the Toby Keith concert a few years back. Mm. And a lot of that had to do with traffic. They were all driving giant vehicles and none of them were obeying any of the traffic laws. So trying to get home that day was an adventure. Toby Keith at Red Rocks. Yeah. Well, thank God now that he has that theme restaurant in uh, Stapleton, maybe some of his fans can be diverted or, or something. It's, it's a Toby Keith-themed restaurant in oh. Stapleton? Oh, hell yeah. You don't know about this? No. Toby no. Keith's I Love This Bar and Grill. Wow. <laughs> Amber knows. <laughs> it's almost as good as the uh, Quaker Steak and Lube that's up off of uh, 36 and Church Ranch Road. Have you seen that place? I haven't been there, it's but I've seen It's a Quaker State, like the oil-themed restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a new one. They just built a whole it's, – it's a new structure for that. Wow. Maybe we should all – maybe a future diatribe we should eat at some of the most ridiculous places and, and report back. The best theme restaurants? Yeah. Yeah. It's a thought. Maybe we can ask our listeners uh, for suggestions as well. Good okay. idea. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Uh, let's – but now let's talk about Amber's cover story for Westward about – you wouldn't call it trance therapy, but sort of like meditation-type therapy for cops – Amber, why don't, why don't you describe it because you wrote it? <laughs> sure. Um, well, I met the person who does this meditation therapy. Her name's Lisa Wimberger. I met her doing music coverage through Westward, and she told me about this program that she has. And basically what she does is she goes in. It's about a five-hour training. So first she talks to the cops about brain science and why these meditations work, and she does that because they're – a lot less likely to dismiss it once they know the physiological and scientific reasons behind why they should be doing it. And then she takes them through four different meditations. Um, And the first one, grounding, is a really common meditation among people who who meditate frequently. So um, it's really interesting. She's had to change around her language a lot because if she talks about, you know, cleansing the auric field, a lot of cops will tune out. So instead she discusses a personal bubble of space that they have around them and they're more able to accept language like that so these are cops that are you know active police officers that yep. are out there every single day cracking heads and i, I think names. the the quote that you had from her that was pretty interesting for me was just that you're carrying stress and you're projecting forward constantly you're almost never in the presence especially when you you're a cop and you see trauma all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, assuming you're a patrol cop and you see domestic violence, who knows what. That's always kind of embedded in you. And people who do like trauma type therapy, even if it's you know, some, even if it's a car accident, that stuff gets embedded, you know, in your nervous system. Am I wrong? Yep, that's absolutely correct. And if you think about, I mean, most people have been in a car accident, so that's a good example. When the car accident is over and your adrenaline is dissipating, a lot of times you feel really shaky and lightheaded. And that is your nervous system unwinding and getting rid of some of those chemicals. Cops don't have the luxury of doing that on duty. I mean, they might go to a call and see something really traumatic. They don't get to go to their car and, you know, shake it off or go home for the rest of the day. They have to go out on another call or go back to the office to file paperwork So all of that adrenaline and cortisol gets stored in their system, and it has really detrimental effects to your health and 
you know, your overall personality, they have higher rates of divorce and alcoholism and suicide than almost any other profession out there. So is this program at something that is voluntary, obviously, or is it something that's mandatory? I mean, do all cops have to go through some kind of, um, like, detox, you know, for it what depends. It depends on the department. Most departments will offer post-traumatic um, debriefing. So if you see something traumatic on the job, they'll provide a therapist for you. Or, you know, they'll help you through that. What she's trying to do is get in before the trauma happens so that they have the tools on hand as it's happening and right afterward to deal with it. But as far as her program goes, it really varies from department to department. Some departments make it mandatory. Some make it, you know, the cop can decide whether they would like to go. So she negotiates with the department and they decide whether they want her teaching the peer support group or the entire department or how she'll fit her program in with their training. Well, what I'm wondering is, for example, the picture that's on the cover of Westward is this therapist and she's in this yoga Hindu position and then the picture on the inside cover is her sitting on the ground like cross-legged. With police culture being so much about masculinity and having to be tough all the time and trying needing to project power all mm-hmm. the time, isn't wouldn't there be a stigma among police departments and among the ranks to go and sit down and, and do meditation with this kind of crunchy looking uh, therapist? Oh, absolutely. And they did take photos of her in a business suit, but those were not used in the paper. <laughs> so normally when she goes, she's not, you know, wearing a sari and um, she doesn't have her hair all down. She's she's buttoned up and she's very, um, and that's why she leads with the science, because it is a very masculine environment. And by leading that way, she can explain to them on a level that they understand this is what your daily job is doing to your body here's how you reverse that process and at that point most of them are usually willing to go along with the icky meditation part but she always does promise them she's not going to make them touch or hug or do anything that would make them uncomfortable on a personal level like that one question i had i think one of the one of the things you get into in the story is that a lot you know the suicide rate among police officers but the backdrop to this seems to me you know, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and our, the public, public consciousness of soldiers coming back with PTSD and the insanely high suicide rate among vets. Is that kind of informing this overall discussion in terms of people who are in these professions who see trauma, who know they can't just blow off their mental health? Yep, absolutely. That's definitely informing it. And she's actually in talks right now with a group that does work with military veterans and current military um, enlisted men. So eventually she wants to expand this to animal hospital workers and EMTs and doctors and nurses. I mean, anyone who has to deal with overly traumatic um, situations in their day-to-day life. Well, I know as a side note, when as a reporter, I would go, for example, down to a particular police department or to the courts and just look through some of the Uh, daily police reports or some of the search warrants or other things and you have this big stack and you're just rifling through each one trying to find interesting stories and it's just one after another you just read these in-depth descriptions and interviews with people who've gotten mugged or it's an investigation of parents that were you know had drowned their babies and then the next thing you read is like some fight where some guy got stabbed in the neck and then it's a domestic dispute thing and just all that 
concentration in an hour for me, even as a reporter, just reading this stuff, not even actively being around this, I'll walk out of the out of the building and just be looking around and just feel so nervous and uptight like anything is, could happen to me. I could get punched in the face, stabbed, drowned by my parents, and it's <laughs> it, it, it really does feel like you just – that sheer concentration of all like the worst of humanity would be really difficult in a – prolonged shift and and after that amount of time. Oh, absolutely. That's also where the macho part comes into play because you're supposed to be able to handle that and it's not supposed to bother you. You know, you're supposed to be able to just shrug it off and go on to the next call. And some people are really good at that and some people need a little bit of extra help. Is there any sort of turf war? The one thing I thought was she's not a psychotherapist or or a psychiatrist. I would imagine... (laughs) Just in terms of you know turf war, some someone reading this who's a trauma therapist, um, seeing say, saying she doesn't have the credentials to do this, is that an issue? You know, I don't think it has been an issue for her. I certainly think that that's a possibility. Um, but when I spoke with her and when she speaks in front of these classes, she makes it very clear that she's not a therapist. That these are not a these techniques are not a replacement for therapy. They're a supplement. So you can't have your therapist on hand 24-7, but you can go to your squad car for five minutes and do some deep breathing exercises and visualize your safe place and feel better. Well, and there are a lot of therapists these days who, I mean, they, for lack of a better word, prescribe, you know, meditation or yoga therapy. So I don't know how much of a super turf war unless you're really, like, wanting to give somebody chemicals to treat, you know. I don't have a problem with chemicals. <laughs> I didn't say I had a problem do the Red Rocks climbers. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to third topic, which is where should meat eaters go for vegetarian food in Denver? Amber, you write the Veggie Girl blog on Westward, uh, which I read. And um, uh, what are, you're going to give your top three, and then I'll, I'll make snarky comments. <laughs> that sounds good. And I, um, I want to preface it by saying that when I was doing research for these top three, I wanted to pick places where both meat and vegetarian food is available. So if you want to go out with some meat eaters, it'll be easy. You won't have to twist any arms. Um, I really like Root Down. I haven't tried Linger yet, but I've heard good things about that. But they have a wide selection of vegetarian and vegan food as well as all kinds of meat, and it's all sustainably sourced, et cetera, et cetera. But I think their chef is brilliant. I think he's great. I really like Pho 95. That is far and away my favorite Pho restaurant. And they do offer meat dishes as well, but they do a giant bowl of veggie Pho with vegetable broth that they make to order. So it takes a little bit longer, but it's delicious. Well, where is that? Located? That's on a federal. Okay. I want to say federal like Mississippi. Federal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for number three, why am I drawing a blank right now? I had a third one all lined up. Go with the snarky comment, John, and I'll oh, no, I was gonna, dig it out of my memory. I was going to just uh, plug the one place that you alerted me to, which is Oink's Barbecue on uh, East Colfax and, like, Cremaria. Mm-hmm. That place has an amazing um, like barbecue tofu that's just really, really – I've had barbecue tofu in a lot of places, and that's, like, that reigns supreme. And then the other one, which I also mentioned last week, and, yes, full disclosure, they're a client of ours – um, but Biker Jim's has a vegan dog. Holy, yeah. holy shit! It's it's really, 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 really. Good. I've had like five in the last you know ten days. Yeah, Biker Jim's they're awesome, and the customer service there is amazing. I can't say enough about it. I remembered my number three. It's Rebellion Pizza, which is on South Broadway. 
Um, and they do a full spread of meat replacements so you can get fake pepperoni. They carry vegan cheese as well, and they deliver. So pizza is one of the things that it's really hard to get as a vegan especially, and they do a great vegan pizza. I can't say enough about so it. So vegan cheese on a, on a pizza, does that – if I was to eat a slice and didn't know, the, the <laughs> invisible taste test, I mean, could you tell that it's – You could probably tell just by looking at it. It doesn't quite melt the same, but it, it – also depends on the brand that you use and one of the things i like about rebellion is they offer a couple of different brands i like the diet brand i think it melts best but when you look at a normal pizza you can all of the shreds of cheese sort of melt together and you can see the individual ones on a vegan pizza if that makes sense so they don't quite melt as well but it's still how do you make and- vegan cheese is it like, I don't know like how the process works. It's soy. Nobody John. knows. <laughs> Nobody wants it. Like soy went green, and it's like a big, uh, big trick. That's why it doesn't melt correctly because it's made out of people. I hope not. <laughs> well, Sidio City used to do this cheese made out of cashews, like this cashew ricotta, uh, which actually was good. But they, for some reason, stupid reason, I think, gave that up. Uh, now they use the dia, which I'm actually not as crazy about. Um, I, I, I do think it kind of tastes a little fake. Yeah, it does. Cashew cheese, when you can get it, is definitely superior to soy. Amber, are you a vegan or a ve- or just a vegetarian? I actually started eating, I call it a plant-based diet, um, back in January. And I use that word because I'm not militant enough to be a real vegan, I don't think. And I, I call myself an aspiring vegan, but I go off the reservation all, uh, enough, you know. So, like with what, like a Cheeto once in a while or something? Uh, with uh, eggs, like if I'm, if I, I travel a lot for work, and you can't always get go to a Mexican place and ask for tofu scramble. Yeah, not not going to happen. Now, being a vegetarian is is hard in some cities. Just going around and going out and trying to find those things, but then being a vegan is even harder. Do you guys find that it's getting easier to be a vegan in Denver over the years, or is it still the same thing? You got to know where to go. I can't really speak to over the years, but since January, I've not had any problems finding at least something on the menu, even if it's just a salad, which isn't great, but at least there's something. I'd say it's, eh, you know, you do get tired of going to the same two places. Like, we're not a big enough city to have, a, a, a like, a second vegetarian restaurant, uh, which is unfortunate. I think there would be. We do have it, but, you know, no, it's not as sexy for restaurateurs, I think, because we're... Vegans and vegetarians are like 7% of the population, if that. So it just doesn't, market-wise, it doesn't make that much sense. That's my guess of it. Of it. But, there, you know, people do try to accommodate. And I think it's because, uh, like Biker Jim's, it's because Biker Jim's wife is a vegan. That's why he got interested in it. And I know, like, at, at Jonesy's, the chef there that, for a while, his wife was a vegan. So basically, it's it's, it's wa- to appease the, the spouses. The yes. So <laughs> marry a chef if you're a vegan, and then influence their cooking. Well, Vanessa, you your your husband has a has started up a a company that provides kebabs at various festivals. Do you guys have a vegan offering? We do. We have uh, a veggie kebab, and so it's all you know. And we don't use any. It's all gluten free too. So we make all of our own blends and rubs and things like that. Um, but we're mostly meat, so people don't expect that of us. So we actually had to put up a new sign that says vegan options because we have that one. Yeah, so. that's one of the interesting – like with Biker Gyms, I just assumed there wouldn't be any offerings. And then I just randomly looked online on their menu. And then other places, like barbecue places, you wouldn't know. Like um, with Brothers Barbecue has a barbecue tofu. Like you don't know. That's the, that's the Well, that's funny. Thing. You almost wonder if places that are just so meat-focused, because they are so meat-focused and everything has meat in it, they get – sensitive about 
needing to have the one thing on there, so they just make one thing and they make it like really good rather than the half-assed stuff you can find at, at regular restaurants. Right, and, and yeah. The, the, yeah, the onus is on them to step it up because I find the best, like the best veggie burgers, the be- a lot of the best vegan fare is at non-vegetarian restaurants, at least here. That's my experience. I totally agree. Um, so, yeah, watercourse, get, work on your game. Any, should we move on to love and hate, or does anyone have a... No, should we, should we ask our uh, listeners to suggest their spots for good vegetarian or vegan food? Yeah, just even like if it's one dish. It's it's worth yeah. I'd love to know. Putting together a list. And how can they go? And they tell can us go. About that, they can go to denverdiatribe.com or they can go to at Denver Diatribe on Twitter. And then on our website, you can link to our Facebook page where they can write comments all they'd like. It's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> all right, loves and hates, Jared. I know you got something. Okay, I do. And here, let me pull this up here on the computer. It's this article in the Daily Camera, Boulder Daily Camera. And it's about this uh, realtor, a former Boulder realtor by the name of Curtis J. Hilty. Apparently, he was a, a big shot in the realting community there in Boulder. But he was arrested for sexual assault on his babysitter, a 20-year-old woman who apparently he had kind of plied with uh, alcohol. And then after she fell asleep, he started uh, – he, like, stuck his dick in her mouth or – did something like that, and then she woke up and she freaked out and called the police. So anyway, he goes, he pleads guilty, but then at sentencing, all that he gets for rape, essentially, was 30 days in county jail. And this article kind of at the bottom, it compares another case that's going through the Boulder County Courts, this uh, former wrestling coach uh, at a high school in Broomfield who had been having a sexual relationship with a student, but it was a consensual one. And even though the the coach is going up for sentencing to the same judge and he's looking at eight years in prison and this was a consensual relationship and what the article pointed out was the judge and the actual district attorney were complaining because the way that Colorado's uh, sex assault law works is that the judge was reluctant to sentence the, the real estate agent to a full term because he could be looking at life in prison and I'm, I'm not sure of the actual – what it is about this particular sentencing law, but it just seems so ridiculous to me that on one hand you have a guy who actually you know, assaulted a woman while she was you know, drunk and asleep, and he only gets 30 days in county jail, right? And then there's a wrestling coach who has a, a consensual relationship with a 17- or 18-year-old, and he's looking at eight years in prison. So it's just this absurd discrepancy to me. So I hate that. Uh, Vanessa, what do you got? I have some hate also for the what is who has become known as the porta potty peeper. Um, it's been all over the news this week. Last week there was a or week before there was a yoga festival in Boulder, and a woman went into the porta potty and noticed that um, something was moving underneath, and uh, had another man check, found out that there was a guy actually in all of the shit, and he got away because nobody wanted to tackle him. And he course. like climbed into these tanks and you know the it's a porta potty tank that's inside the thing so he like had to probably pull a yoga move to get into it and he was like like in a fetal position crawled up laying and yeah looking just so he can you know he could get a little uh peep in and come to find (laughs) that he's actually he says he uh you know they they caught him in veil and so um he has admitted to peeping on hundreds of women um, in various places in Boulder, on the Pearl Street Mall, Target, he would go into bathrooms and um, hide in, like, these corner stalls that were really dark and, like, stand on top of the toilets and look over 
into the other cell. Um, it's really creepy. And so you're hating on this, right? I'm absolutely, <laughs> absolutely hating on it. However, um, I am giving some, I don't even know if it's love, but this really crazy um, media company in Hong Kong, of all places, has put together an animation that's really kind of hilarious. As if you, when you hear that story, you can't imagine it yourself. You need to see a reenactment in animation of a guy Hiding in the port yeah, potty, I've heard about this company, and, and they, they have this whole thing set up where they'll do like quick animated reenactments. Like the, the, their famous one was the Tiger Woods when he got drunk yes. and he got chased off. And now it, I'm actually very proud that this our porta potty peeper made it to international fame. Yeah, all the way to puts Hong us Kong. on the map. All right, Amber, you're gonna have a you have a tough act to follow. In that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to I am going to follow that with something food related. So I apologize <laughs> to all of the listeners out there. There is a woman named Duran Turner here in town who writes vegan soul food cookbooks. And I believe her website is sideofsoul.com. But she also does these dinner parties that are invite only. I would suggest you find her on Facebook and see if you can get invited to them because they are amazing. She does this like multi-course spread and it's all homemade and unbelievable. Better better soul food than I've had at any restaurant in Denver by far. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to hate, and it's going to be food-related, and it's just no one can fucking make a good red sauce in this town. I went to one place, uh, Shells and Sauce, near my neighborhood, and it's I think they're owned by Greeks because they just, they just dump, freaking ruin it with oregano. And it's just you let the tomato become the goddamn star when you make a <laughs> red sauce. Sorry, it's just I haven't had a good one here, I think, ever. And that's my, that's my hate. And if you think I'm wrong, let me know. That's all the hate we have time for. Thanks to Vanessa, Jared, and Amber. And you can find us on the web, denverdiatribe.com. And we will hear from you this week. And you can hear from us next week.